Amen. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you so much for that wonderful cross. Lord, it was so offensive to those who are not being saved, but to us, Lord, we are we rejoice and we know that it is life itself. Lord, we thank you that for us you came. You suffered in our place. And you took your sins upon us and you nailed them to that tree. And we thank you so much, Lord. We love you. We thank you for loving us first and demonstrating that, that you died for us while we were still sinners. We praise your name, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for that cross. We thank you, Lord, that there is power in it, Lord, and that gospel that comes with it, that is, that, that is wrapped up, Lord, in the gospel, your cross, and we thank you that we are able to preach Christ crucified. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you and thank you for taking our place. To you be all the glory, all the honor, Lord, and by grace, cause us, Lord, to draw near and know that you are the source of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want to welcome you tonight to our Good Friday service. What a blessing it is to come together and worship our Lord, seek our Lord, and remember what He did for us, and really celebrate what He did for us in dying in our place on the cross. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, what a week it's been, Right? And, and really, I'm not talking about your stressful work environment. I'm not talking about your broken down clothes washing machine. I'm not talking about uh, maybe even a, a positive, that, that it's been a great week that you were able to pay off that, that, that bill, that large bill you had, and finally you paid it off, and you're like, woohoo! right? What a great week it's been. I'm talking more about the week that Jesus had. Because just five days ago on Palm Sunday, even when we were here, we were celebrating and praising Him along with the crowds as He was entering Jerusalem, right? And He was receiving all the praise that was due Him. And He was on the back of a donkey. And He enters, and don't miss this, as some of you might already know, He entered through the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, used to bring in animals to be sacrificed in the temple. What a great, great, great thing to note that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was entering in through the sheep gate for you and for me. He then cleanses the temple, that righteous indignation when there was injustice being done in God's house and He wanted it and nothing more and God His Father wanted it nothing more to be than a house of prayer where God is sought and praised and worshipped and, and yet... There were not the nicest things going on by those who were selling animals for the sacrifice and other things that were going on. He took care of it, if you will. And then he's teaching, and he's healing, and he continues his ministry even in the final days before he's crucified, and he spends a lot of time talking about the last days and when Christ, when He'll return again and how the time will end and the kingdom will come. And He shares that with His disciples. He also has intimate moments with them when He's in that upper room at the Last Supper, the Passover meal. And He's sharing with them and He bends down and He washes their feet as only a servant can do and tells them to do the same thing. Then He breaks bread 
And as he's breaking bread with 12 that he had invested in, he says, one of you will betray me, the one who dips his hand with me. And it was Judas. And it was Judas and he went out and he did his thing, if you will. And he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We know that story well, don't we? And then Jesus, the mob comes out, the soldiers, armed people come. They come to take Jesus. And they put him on trial. They mistreated him. They did all kinds of things, didn't they? And we know that. But before that, of course, we know he visited the garden. What a place the Garden of Gethsemane was. And he's saying, if I can get away with not having to suffer and die for the sins of the world, that would be great. I would say the same thing. But then he says, but not what I want. But whatever you want, God, your will be done. And he knows that betrayal comes, as I mentioned a moment ago. And he gets betrayed. And then he goes through a sequence of trials. Really, they were a sequence of trials. Individuals that he faced. And he was questioned and asked and questioned again. And mocked and all kinds of things were going on that were humiliating, quite frankly. Especially to the Son of God. God Himself in the flesh walking on the earth to die for the sins of men. And that's where our text picks up that Nate will read. Mark 15, 1-20 Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes in the whole council, And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But still Jesus answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed, and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off of him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him.
forward. <laughs> As I said on Sunday, um, tonight's offering will be for support of missions. Um, at the cross, <laughs> we give it all. Um, as a recipient of some of the offerings that have been taken on Good Fridays, when Deb and I were in Haiti, you guys supported us very faithfully. I know how much the money means, but even more than the money is the prayers. And I know Pastor Dan talked about this last Good Friday. Our missionaries need our prayers wherever they may be, whether it be international or right here in Rhode Island. We have Harmony um, they are constantly, constantly under attack. They need our prayers. Harmony Women's Care, if you don't know, out in the hallway we have descriptions of what they do. Providence Rescue Mission, we all know about the housing crisis in, uh, in Rhode Island. Um, we support them. They need our prayers as well as our financial support. Uh, special Touch Ministries, supporting the, uh, the, uh, those with special needs. Um, one of the most underlooked uh, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, hmm? Pop- underserved populations, that's what I'm looking for, in the United States. They need our support. They need our prayers. Um, and, of course, Samaritan's Purse is one that we support internationally with Operation Christmas Child, and monthly we support the discipleship program. Um, so that disciples, that is Matthew 28 right there. Uh, go forth and in, in, uh, tell the nations and support them, you know, disciple them, baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. So, um, oh, I, I, Ryan, would you pray?
John, John 19, 1 through 16, says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put him, uh, sorry, excuse me, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that, saying, he was more, he was the more afraid, and went out into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, you, have no, you could have no power at all against me unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate Therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the uh, Prevedum, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. Mm. Thank you, Abram. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so this evening, as we recount what Jesus was going through, we We look at our text this morning in John's Gospel, chapter 19, as Abram read, and especially focusing on the first seven verses and the key verses, second part of verse 5. And the context, of course, of our text is well known by many of you and a lot of you. It's well known. And you know that all that Jesus had gone through and how the the rulers and the chief priests had had it out for Jesus, and many others did as well. And so 
they come and eventually he ends up in front of Pilate after having been through a few other processes and a sequence of facing other leaders and being questioned. And Pilate is before him. And you have to give attention. You must give attention to Pilate's statement that just jumps out, at least it does for me, where he says, Behold the man, in verse 5, or here's the man. It's similar, when you think about it, what's going on here in a strange way, it's similar to a lot of what goes on in our world today. We would do this with athletes, right? We put them up, we prop them up, and, and we hear that. Here's the guy! Here's the MVP! Who saw UConn win the other night? That was pretty awesome. I mean, and I really mean that. that was, it was an incredible dominating performance. And so when they get Coach Hurley and they get the other players and, and, and they're talking and they this is the guy. Here's the most valuable player. Here's the most outstanding player. And you're, he's a hero of sorts. And he's put up on a pedestal and you pay attention. And yet when you hear those words, similar words, behold the man. Here's the man. It's a whole different context and environment. Where Jesus is innocent, and yet he is seen as guilty and determined to be guilty in the hearts of man because of all the power plays that were going on, because of all the preferences the people had about him, and he disappointed them by not being who they thought he should be for them. Away with him, let's get rid of him. And here's the man, isn't he your king? And even the leaders say, We have no king but Jesus. And just prior, Right? Just prior. You have no king but Caesar. I'm sorry, no king but Caesar, right? And, and, and they, they, just prior, the week before that, they were all waiting for the king, looking at his Messiah. Of course, a lot of leaders had it out for him, but there was that chant, that cry, that praise, and they were expecting the Messiah. And now, we have no king but Caesar. And Jesus wept when he walked into Jerusalem because he knew that they would miss him at the time of his visitation. And they did. What is it about these? Somebody said that children, they look for heroes. I would say that for a lot of people, not just children. But what they need is role models. They don't need heroes. They need role models. And yet we could say Jesus is a hero of sorts, but he's our role model, our ultimate role model. And now compare all these individuals to Jesus when you think about those, those heroes or men of achievement or the, the, the athletes, the politicians, the scholars all around our world. Compare them to Jesus. And let me ask you, what is it really that separates Jesus from any other individual? Right there, maybe on that balcony in front of all the people with Pilate, right before his crucifixion, and you put him side by side by all those living and all those who have gone before us who have been put up on a pedestal and been said, look at that person. They're amazing. There's something to behold. Look what they've done. Look who they are. And in the end, it all amounted to not much as it relates to eternity and the future of men's souls. What is it about Jesus? Think about this. Maybe I'm giving you my, my thoughts about this. What is it that captivates my mind sometimes, really? And yet, at the same time, and my mind is just, I can't even wrap it around, and yet it stifles the ability of my intellect to comprehend Him truly. I can't do it can't 
He's amazing. He's a holy God. He's Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Son of God who came for you and for me. What is it that intrigues me and keeps my soul longing, right, for Him? What is it about Him? What is it that drives us? Especially if you have placed your faith and trust in Him and you belong to Him and you are a follower of Christ. What is it that drives you to be like Him? That that you want to be like Him. You want to emulate Him. What is it? And as I begin, I'm going to challenge you to look at Jesus there on display before all those people with Pilate at his side. Before his own people. Why is he so different? And I propose that if we just look at the three words, behold the man, we can find three simple things. First of all, Jesus was a man of miracles. You'll see in the outline there, just the simple points there. He was a man of miracles. He was a man of miracles. And it's an acrostic, right? Behold the man, M-A-N. But he was a man of miracles. He did amazing things. Pilate knew this. He heard all about Jesus. The crowd knew it. They had seen, they had heard, and maybe some of them even experienced some of those miracles. Supernatural acts that only God can do and Jesus did as a result of Him being God on earth. You know, if you look in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 8, while Jesus is going through a series of many trials, if you will, there's a point in time where Jesus goes before Herod. And Herod and Pilate were not buddies. But after Pilate arranged and sent Jesus to Herod, they were. And what does Luke say in there? It says that Herod was so pleased that Jesus presented because he wanted Jesus to do a magic trick for him. I'm being maybe too casual with my language, but but not really. He wanted Jesus to perform for him. Do a miracle for me. I've got to see it for myself. And he wanted that. Then he had questions and Jesus says, I'm not giving you that. I'm not even answering you. You're looking for the wrong thing. He wanted it for, for his own pleasure and entertainment. Sounds like a lot of people today, right? We want the miracle working Jesus, which by the way, he does. I'll get to that in a minute. But... That's all he wanted, and the crowds wanted that. In, in John chapter 6, they wanted, when Jesus feeds the multitudes, they kept wanting him to produce these miracles because they wanted to be satisfied in their flesh and in their senses. And they were missing Jesus for who he really was. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them. But Jesus was a man of miracles. You know, at this point, think about it, as Pilate and the crowds are there, weren't his works enough to justify his claims that he was the God-man? Hmm? The supernatural, think about this, was his domain. It was his domain. That's where he worked. That's what he did. You know, if you read just the first few chapters in Matthew's Gospel, and in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 24, Matthew records that Jesus went into the villages and the towns, and he healed everyone he came into contact with. The language there says all the people that were brought to him, he healed them. He did things that were impossible to be done. Even the doctors couldn't do. The greatest doctors and minds of the day couldn't find a cure or solution. And Jesus heals every single person that comes. And he sets people free of demon possession as well. We'll get to that in a minute as well. Right? He was the master of every situation. Right? He healed. He tamed nature. In Matthew chapter 8, we know the story about Jesus with his disciples on the sea, and things are getting rough. And then Jesus simply tells the storm to quiet down for crying out loud. And it just goes still. 
And the disciples were blown away. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Who is this man? It was supernatural. It was powerful. He was Almighty God in the flesh. And He did all these miracles. Surely even that was shared by the disciples with many others who passed on the Word. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 9, there are many other texts to the Gospels, but Jesus delivers a man who is demon-possessed. Supernatural things were going on. You could say, we would say paranormal, but they were supernatural things that were happening that someone in their own might and strength humanly could not take care of. It was the power of God, and He was operating in the supernatural realm and domain. It was His, and He was master of it. And you know, Jesus still heals today, as I mentioned earlier. And I stand on this one thing. I stand on one Scripture as, many, as well as many others. And I believe the Word of God is God's Word. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, we know what the writer says there, the author says there. He says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and always, forever. He is the same. He's the same Jesus. So He still heals. I don't tell Him when to heal, but He can still heal. He can still do supernatural things. Right? He does powerful miracles. Still, here's the thing. The fact. The fact that Jesus performed the miraculous doesn't really separate Him from all other people. It doesn't. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, there are many examples of people who did or performed supernatural miracles. Amen? Yes. Moses. Do you remember Moses? Yes, it was God. We know it was God's power. Jesus was God, so it's still God's power. But there's Moses, and he goes before Pharaoh, and he puts down his staff, and it becomes a serpent. What does Pharaoh's magician do? The same exact thing. But then, of course, it gets eaten up. Right? But he does the same thing. So it doesn't separate Jesus entirely from all other people or men on this planet who ever lived or are living. He doesn't, doesn't do that. Elijah, Elisha, other prophets, miracles that happened and supernatural events that transpired that demonstrated that it was God's power, not human's power or people's power. The New Testament has examples of individuals performing a supernatural you could think of them in your own mind. I'll mention just one for the sake, maybe two for the sake of time, right? Peter, the apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 3, he goes by the gate beautiful. And there's a man who's, who's lame there. And he's looking for a handout because he's in need. And Peter talks to him and gets his attention. Then he says, listen, my friend, I have no $20 bill. I have no $100 bill. I don't even have a quarter to give you. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. It was supernatural. No? It was supernatural. It was a miracle that was taking place. What about Paul? This is my favorite story about Paul. It really is. I don't know what it is because it reminds me of growing up in, the, in my church and having three-hour services. But anyway, Paul in Acts chapter 20, he's preaching in a home before he has to go away. And you know what? They were so hungry for the Word of God and he had so much, he was welling over, that he's talking for hours and hours and hours. And it says he's going till midnight. And about midnight, Eutychus, he's a young man, he gets sleepy-eyed, like maybe some of you are getting now, right? And he's standing on the wall on the, on the, up on the upper floor and he falls out and he dies because Paul's talking and teaching so long, right? But what does Paul do? He goes down there and he falls on him and he raised, he's alive. 
He's alive and he goes back up. And it says they went back up. This is after midnight. They go back up. They break bread again. And Paul keeps teaching until 6 in the morning. You can look it up in Acts chapter 20. So you know what? Stop whining about long services. Anyway. (laughs) Miracles. The miraculous. was, Was done through many other people. And even today, there are some who do the who are involved in the supernatural or what we would deem the miraculous. And you know, some of them are legit. A lot of them are counterfeit. Because they're done by the dark side, frankly. They're done by demonic powers as well. Right? And we hear about those things. And we, even, we might even know and have some connection to those who've experienced those things. But today, those things go on. Jesus is the same. And Satan still counterfeits the miraculous as well for his own ends. I'm sorry... Well, I'm not, but I am. To tell you this, that just because Jesus was a man of miracles, that's not enough to distinguish Him from everyone else who ever lived on this planet. It's not. Just because He's a man of miracles. And that's what the world without Jesus says. So what? There were other things, or people that miraculous things happened through. And you might say, well, okay, that's fine. Jesus was a man of miracles, and so were others. But, but didn't Jesus know it all? Wasn't Jesus a man of answers? Yes, he was secondly a man of answers. He was a man who performed miracles, and he was a man of answers. And again, without question, Pilate and all of those in the crowd had heard of his wisdom. There is no way I, can't, I cannot comprehend. It's impossible that the people, the majority of the individuals in that crowd, including the leaders, the religious leaders, and Pilate himself, had not heard about the wisdom and the powerful teaching and the, and that, that, that Jesus demonstrated and spoke with and taught with. It's impossible. He had answers. And he had solutions to problems of the soul. Because Jesus knew the way to eternal life. Right? When Nicodemus comes to him in John chapter 3, Jesus says, unless a man is born from above, he'll never see the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. Never. You'll never enter it. You'll be born again. And Nicodemus is confused. And Jesus clarifies. And we know that whole context, a lot of us, but you must be born again. And he talks about that. And he reveals how. And he talks about the great love of God. And he also shares that to, in, in John chapter 14, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He, he, wasn't, he didn't just know the way to eternal life, to everlasting life. He was the source of life. And He was the one who gave that life. It was Jesus Himself and all His teachings and all His answers and replies. There's a whole slew. I could talk to you like Eutychus till midnight. But, but of, of Jesus t- showing all the, the, the religious scholars and, and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders and they're questioning and challenging and His answers always, frankly, outdo them. Always. And they're left scratching their head. Wow, we didn't think he might answer that way. Hmm, what do we do now? Because Jesus had answers. He was wisdom. He was truth. He knew it. He spoke with wisdom and authority in John chapter 7. In fact, there were these individuals who the Pharisees sent out. They wanted Jesus to be brought to them. But then these officers, after they had heard Jesus, they didn't take hold of Him in chapter 7 of John. And they came back to the Pharisees and they said, where's Jesus? And they said, we couldn't take Him. Because you know what? They said this, never did a man speak the way that this man speaks. 
They couldn't do it. He was a man of answers. He had all truth. He was wisdom. And there was no one that spoke or taught like Jesus. He explained who he was. He was the Son of God. He was one with God the Father. His I am statements in John. Come and come to me, he said, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. In Matthew chapter 11, if you're heavy and weary and you're burdened, then take my yoke upon you. And on and on and on he had the answers. In fact, before our text this evening, in John chapter 18, Pilate is having a discussion and Jesus says that I have come, I've come to testify to the truth. And Pilate asks him a question. What is truth? Right before the text, Abram read in chapter 18, what is truth? And Jesus doesn't give an answer. Jesus has given many answers prior to that that indicate what truth is, who truth is. And right in front of his face, truth is standing and Jesus is like... Today, Jesus is still the answer. He's still a man of answers, the answer for you. He is truth. He is wisdom. He is God's source. He, he's it. He's a solution. But I want to point this out. The fact that Jesus had answered to all of life's dilemmas and spiritual questions even does not fully qualify him as the greatest role model or the greatest man of all time. It works. He's up there, it's for sure. No one taught like him. He's all, but still, because there are countless others who, quote-unquote, have answers to life and its problems, and the philosophers and the Pharisees and all those scholars, and even in our world, and there, we're, there's answers. Solomon had answers. He had wisdom. He had guidance. There was others who taught with authority, like the Apostle Paul and the apostles in the first century. And they had answers. They had the truth. They had the Word of God. And God used them. Yes, it came from God, but they were used that way and they had answers. And today, the argument is, okay, and so many people believe. You might have had this conversation. You might be saying this. Okay, Jesus was a great teacher. I'll buy that. And you might even say he was a prophet with, with unheard wisdom. It was, it's amazing what he said. It, it's, it confounds the mind, really, but it's truth. But so weren't many other people as well. And so your argument might be, okay, that's fine, but what else? So he was a man of miracles. He's a man of answers. And here's the thing. That's why we're here tonight. Because of that cross. We're here drawn to that cross because the one thing greater than the miracles, greater than the answers, and he has all that, but the one thing that separates Jesus from every single other human being that ever lived on this planet or ever will live on this planet is that Jesus was a man who had no sin. No sin. He was perfect. He was sinless. He had no sin. Write it down. Take it to heart. Don't ever forget it. That's the one thing that separates Jesus from everyone else. Pilate says, and Abram read this in our text in verses 4 and 6, that Pilate says twice that he finds no fault in Jesus. He's innocent. He even washed his hands. There is nothing wrong with this guy. I can't find any charge against him. Nothing holds water. He's perfect. I can't do anything. What do you want me to do? I can't. Not with a clear conscience. I really can't. And it reminds us back, and it brings us back in our minds to what John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God when Jesus was coming and coming to him. 
And he was declaring that Jesus is that one that in fulfillment of the sacrificial system, as there was necessary that the lamb that was brought to the, to the slaughter to, for, the, for the remission of sins was without blemish, was perfect. It was a picture of Jesus being sinless and He was perfect. And Peter says so much in, 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 in chapter 1 and verse 19 of his epistle. He says that He was a lamb without blemish and we were bought, we were redeemed, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And He was the lamb without blemish. Blemish. And we sang that song, and those are actually the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 that Paul wrote. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin never touched him, he never, he never, he never entertained it, he never committed it. He was perfect, he was without sin. Let me ask you, who else can make this claim? Who else can make this claim? I can't. I know I can't. If you can, that's great. Take it up with God. Take it up with Jesus. I can't. I can't make that claim. I, I, it's no way, no how. And the Bible says so much. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one's come close to fulfilling the law and keeping it perfectly. And Jesus did exactly that. Those who claim that or acted on that statement, they all fall and today jesus stands as our righteousness because of what he did on the cross because he was sinless no sin and by our faith in him and what he has done on calvary we stand before god with jesus as our advocate he's on he's our mediator right and he says that we are righteous because you believe that he wasn't just a man of miracles and answers, but he was a man of no sin who died in our place. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5-6. to I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. We're going to sing one last song, and then we'll be dismissed. Here's my question. How are you beholding Jesus today? When you hear Pilate and you hear that echo from history 2,000 years ago, even today it still echoes. And, and Pilate is saying to us, whether you're a believer, maybe you're not. You're not, you're not a child of God yet. Maybe you're here. And, and you hear, behold the man. Here's the man Jesus. How do you behold him? What do you see? Do you see him as somebody who does miracles? And, and when you really need it, and when you're really hard-pressed, and when you're in a jam, and all through life, that's when you need Jesus. Because he's a miracle worker. I'm going to go to him. He's my genie in the bottle. He's, he's, that, he's that dynamite in a pinch, you know, and, I'll, and that's it. I'm going there. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to make you right with God. It's not, a right, not enough to give you everlasting life, to get you everlasting life. It just doesn't work. Maybe you're the one who says, well, you know what? I love Jesus' teaching. I love reading the Bible even. And it's all, and I just love taking it in. I'm processing and I just, it's, it's intriguing and it just, it, it stimulates my mind and it makes me want to look at historical stuff and you, your mind gets engaged, but your heart is far from that. Maybe there is someone like that or, or you've had questions and you've, you've thought about some of the wise sayings of Jesus. And again, you pick and choose which ones you want because, well, Jesus had answers. Sure, I'll, I'll try them out. That's, that works. But have you come to the point and do you see Jesus as the man with no sin who took your sin 
in your place so that you could be forgiven and cleansed. Pilate's voice echoes today. How are you beholding Jesus? When you hear all the subliminal shouts in our culture that say this, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! What Messiah? Where's the Messiah? There's no such thing. Who's Jesus? He was just a man. Get rid of Him. We don't need Him. We can survive without Him. And it's all unraveling around us. And we hear those words. We don't need Him. We can survive without Him. Let me ask you, when you hear the words of Pilate in the background of all the crucifies Him, and he says, Behold the man. How do you behold Him? I love what Mark recorded in chapter 15 when Jesus was crucified. And I encourage you to read this tonight and tomorrow as we're waiting for the resurrection Sunday. Jesus was taken out and crucified. Horrible things happened. And it says there that after Jesus died, the earth shook. There was an earthquake. And the, the soldiers that were at the cross of Jesus, they said something. They beheld Jesus and saw Him for who He was. And they said, Behold, truly this man was the Son of God. He wasn't just a miracle worker like we heard and we even saw and heard a story. We know somebody that got touched by Him. He didn't just have answers and I could even quote Him. But He was sinless and He's the Son of God. He died for the sins of the world. He really is the Messiah. There was some kind of profession there that happened and a revelation that occurred. And maybe tonight, that's where you are and you're beholding Jesus as they did. And you can say, and if you haven't, may you say, and I pray that you say, truly, Jesus is the Son of God, the sinless one who died for me. Believe in Him because you know what? When you believe in Him and you trust Him and you give Him a life, He'll give you and He'll bring you to the Father as our text in front of the bulletin says. He'll take you home to be with Jesus forever. Amen? Let's sing this song and then we'll close in prayer. I encourage you to stand.
Lord, all praise and honor belongs to you, Lord God. Lord, we want to thank you so much for the cross. Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, we would uh, leave singing this hallelujah, especially those of us who have come to the cross and we have seen you and beheld you as the man with no sin who truly was the Son of God and we've made that profession. Father God, I pray for those who have not come, Lord, to that saving faith, who have not made that profession, who have not believed that in their heart of hearts that Holy Spirit, you would touch them and they would behold you not only as a man of miracles and answers, but a man of no sins who died for them. Lord, I pray that by your calling, they would profess that you are truly the Son of God. We thank you that you died for us. And we look forward to celebrating, knowing already that you rose again on the third day. So, Father, as we go through our night and tomorrow, God, I pray that we, Lord, with minds and hearts fixed and set on what you went for us, waiting, Lord, to rejoice in knowing that you rose up from the grave on Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we thank you and praise you to be all the glory. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.